Amen. Wow. It's exciting to think about uh, what God has done in our church over the 13 years when we started. We started off meeting in homes and uh, in living rooms. And from living rooms, we went to the schools. We met in Bryson Elementary for a while. And then uh, we had to move out of Bryson Elementary. And then we went to Saginaw Elementary. And then it was time for us to get out of the schools as, as that was just something that the school district uh, encouraged us to do as we'd been in there for a while in this building. God provided us this building at that perfect time. And what I'm trying to tell you is that all through this journey that we've been through, God has provided perfectly in the right time for us every single time. And I expect nothing different as we go through these next phases of God blessing us as a church. Aren't you excited about that? And just knowing that we continue to grow Guys, we are, and I don't know that you know anything about as far as church growth principles. You probably don't study that the way that most pastors do or whatever. But we're breaking all the rules when it comes to church growth principles as far as being back in a neighborhood where you can't be seen and not on a major thoroughfare on one acre of land and God continues to grow us. That just doesn't happen. What that points to is this. It's God. Amen? That's what God is doing. And so we get to be a part of that. And so turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter chapter 13, and we're going to be looking as we continue in this series called Moses, Common Man, Extraordinary Life. And I love studying this, uh, this part of, of, of God's word and looking at Moses's life. And I know many of you have enjoyed this as well. Why? Because we relate to Moses. We relate to him whenever it comes to his issues of self-doubt that Pastor Randy talked about last week. We relate to him when it comes to issues of anger, right? Any angry people, okay? We know what it feels like to get angry, and sometimes that anger can be out of control. We saw that in Moses' life. And he also struggled with patience issues. He struggled with control freak issues and not being willing to release some things and let some things go. So we really relate to him. And what we learned is that God had to take Moses through a refining process in the wilderness, He grew up in a palace, and we learned about how all of that came about. He grew up in a palace, but he was actually born to some slaves. And you can uh, go listen online if you don't know that story. But but God, through his sovereignty, brought him up through a palace. and, And he was also raised by his birth mother as well during that point. He grew up under Pharaoh as a prince of Egypt and then took things, matters literally into his own hands as he tried to to begin to press himself into being that deliverer for Israel out of Egypt. And then he ends up taking the life of another man and he's exiled out into the wilderness for 40 years. During this 40-year period, Moses is undergoing a refining process. And this is what God does in our lives. He refines us. He takes us through wilderness experiences. And now what we find is that Moses has been at a bush uh, after 40 years of, of being a shepherd now out in the wilderness. God takes this ordinary experience of this day of just shepherding this flock of sheep. And now he's before this bush that is like any bush that he might have seen on fire at some other point, as, as these guys would see bushes on fire due to lightning and things like that. But there was something significant and different about this bush. It wasn't being burned up in the fire. And, and so Moses has this incredible encounter with God. And God says to Moses, I've been preparing you. Now it's time for you to go back to Egypt and you're going to go to Pharaoh. And by my name, you're going to tell him to let my people go. Oh, and by the way, Moses, he's not going to cooperate. Just so you know, things are about to get worse before they get better. 
It's going to be difficult. You're going to have your faith tested. You're going to be tried in this. Um, They're not going to like the fact that you've come back, but you have to trust me. I'm going to take care of it. Moses, I've got this. Trust me. And so this is exactly where we find ourselves. I don't have time to go into all of the plagues today, but I do want you to know, as you know, God was going to demonstrate his power through Moses. God is going to perform some miraculous acts of judgment upon the Egyptian nation at this point. And, and let me give you just very quickly, let me give you the purpose of these plagues, okay? There were some purposes in the 10 plagues that were enacted upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh. The first purpose is this, is to show the Israelites, to show God's people that the God of their fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, wasn't dead. Guys, they had been in a dark place for many years now. They'd been in a place where they were wondering if God was really even care, if he cared about them. Many of them probably wondered if he was even alive. Is he real? And what God was going to do through these acts of judgment upon the Egyptians was to show this, that God never misses anything. God's justice is always going to prevail and that God was alive and that he was worthy of their worship. Many of them, were, had, as they'd been going through this rough time, were wondering if he was real. Some of you, you may be in a place in your life right now where you're going through just an incredible difficulty. And you've been there for a while. Kind of like the Israelites have been in that bondage for, they were there for 400 years, but really were enslaved for about 250 years. That's a long time. That's about as long as America has been in existence, right? They, all they ever knew was slavery. Some of you are in that place of wondering, God, do you really care about me? Do you love me? Are you taking note of things that are happening in my life? And so God was going to show them, I do notice, I do care. I've heard your cries. And now in my perfect timing, you're going to see my justice. Here's the second thing that these plagues did was this. If you're taking notes, they were to show the Egyptians that their gods were powerless. And when I say their gods, they were a polytheistic, a polytheistic community of folks. They, they believed in all kinds of gods and they saw gods in all kinds of different natural things. And, and so they attributed natural phenomena that happened in the, the world around them as to being a god. For instance, the Nile was worshipped as a god. The sun was worshipped as a god. Um, their crops were looked upon as gods. Their Pharaoh, their king was a God. That's how they viewed things and what God was going to do. And again, I don't have time to go into the plagues in detail. I challenge you to go look at them because it's really interesting how the sequence works out perfectly. It all fits together how God brought these plagues upon Egypt. It was all a a way of showing the nation of Egypt that their gods were false. I would even tell you this, that many of the Israelites had probably begun thinking that their God was dead and that maybe these were the real gods. And so God was going to show them, no, these are not gods at all. So as you know, blood in the Nile and in the water, what was God doing there? He was showing that, that the Nile is not a God. We know this. We know that the sun was darkened. What's God doing there? He's showing every one of these judgments. Every one of these is a, is a judgment against one of the gods of Egypt. Okay, so it's really interesting to find this out. And through the very last plague, we know this, that an angel of death, God told Moses that you are to take a Passover lamb. You're to take this, what's called the Paschal lamb, and you're to shed this lamb's blood. And every member of every household is to take that blood and to put it over the doorpost of their home. 
And when the angel of death, which will come and take the firstborn son of all of those who are not covered by this blood, when it sees that blood, it will pass over that judgment. The judgment will not be upon the home that is covered by the blood. All of this is a great foreshadowing of whom? Jesus, right? Jesus was the, he's called the Passover lamb. He's the Paschal lamb. And this is what's coming. And, and so we see this, that this has occurred. The angel of death has come. There's great suffering and great judgment has come upon Egypt and great wailing and mourning. Even Pharaoh himself and his family were afflicted by this judgment to show that he's not a God. They were shown, they were shown this in this way. Pharaoh finally comes to this place of saying, enough. Just get your people and go. Get out of here. We don't want to even see you anymore. God, through a series of events, brought their economy to a standstill. He brought their gods to a place of being powerless. And their Pharaoh's will at this point seemingly was broken. And so Moses began to lead upwards to 2 million people in mass exodus. That's where this word exodus, what it means. The word exodus is the word way and out. It's the way out. This is what they were doing. They were on their way out of Egypt here. And where were they going? They were going from slavery. Were they going straight into the promised land? No. Where were they going? Into the wilderness, right? Have you ever noticed that life's kind of like that? It's like you go from one tough spot sometimes, right, to another one. And this is exactly what's going to happen as we see there. Some of you, you may find yourself in a tough spot this morning. Maybe you feel like you're kind of between a rock and a hard place in some situation. You find yourself in a predicament. How many of you would say this, just in all honesty, and we, we are all about transparency. How many would say, Pastor Bart, our family or me personally, whatever, I'm kind of in a tough spot right now. I'm just having a, I'm having a tough time. We're dealing with something tough. Would you just raise your hands and just... You can just kind of look around and see there are a number of people that find themselves right there. I'm dealing with some tough issues. I pray that the Lord will encourage you today in this. I heard someone say that a predicament is this right here. It's a lawyer who specializes in suing doctors for medical malpractice, finding himself in need of major surgery. That is a predicament right there. Okay. Moses and the people of Israel, they found themselves stuck between a rock and a hard place. What are we going to do now? We're out here in the wilderness. We're following you. We're trusting you. And, and so here's what we find in chapter 13, verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, when Pharaoh let the people, do we have that scripture? There it is. When Pharaoh let the people go, I want you to notice this. God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, which by the way, that's where the promised land was at. Although that was near. Well, that would have been really convenient, right? Could we just go right there? No, God has another plan, okay? And so we find this, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So God led them to the Red Sea? He sure did. I want you to see that. It's so interesting to me. Why didn't God just take them straight to the promised land? Why didn't he just deliver? They, I mean, they've been in slavery. They deserve it, right? I mean, they ought to get to go relax for a little bit, kick back in the promised land, have a little honey and milk and all that good stuff that God talked about, right? Why do you suppose that God led them to the wilderness? It was for a time of refining, right? They were going to have to fight at some point. We know that the fights were going to be coming soon. They were going to be in battles. But guys, what we take from this, they weren't ready. They were not ready. 
It says, lest they see war coming. And then, I mean, they've been whipped down all these years. They're tired. They're whipped. We, we don't even know if God's real. We're just, we've seen some amazing things happen. We're still trying to determine whether we trust Moses. They are not ready. God did not have them ready. God had to get Moses ready for a while in the wilderness. And now it was time to get the people ready in the wilderness what God was really wanting was not just to get them to a place of promised land. Do you know what God really desires for all of us? Is to get to a place of whether we're in the wilderness or whether we're in the promised land, whatever we're at in that journey in our lives, that we give him glory and we give him honor and that we love him and that we walk with him no matter what. Amen? And this is what he was going to do. Thank you, brother. All right, I love that. Okay? And, and, so, and so this is what's going on. I can look back at our church. And, in, and now I, I started the church when I was in my 20s, okay? And I can look back in our church and I thought when I was in my 20s that I was ready for us to have all this big growth and everything. And, and here's what I discovered. Um, the people were not the hang up. I have been the worst hang up, okay? And God had, had and is still taking me through refining processes. And I remember going through this time of like, God, I just wish we had this. Or God, I'm so tired of, of, of not having a building when we didn't even have this building. God, I'm so tired of setting up and tearing down as we did that for years. I'm so tired of this. God, why couldn't we have a, a, a location sooner? God, why couldn't we find land? Because it took us a long time to find land. There were several opportunities that came up and, and, and they fell through. And I was devastated. And I was like, what is going on here, God? We can't seem to find this. Uh, God, I'm tired of meeting in a school. God, I'm tired of having a pothole for a parking lot. Y'all know that's not a parking lot. It's one big pothole. That's what it is, okay? I'd love to have a flat surface for our church, Lord. You know, and so we kind of go through this, but I fully believe this, that God has had to teach us many things through these years. And he's still teaching us. God has had to teach me a number of things, valuable lessons in leadership that I'm still learning. And I'm still crying out to God to show me how to be a better pastor, a better leader. And just as the Israelites weren't ready, I think that God has said, you haven't been ready. And when you start walking with me and following me in obedience, no matter where you are, then I know this, that you're going to be ready. And so if we find any other delays, I'm trusting that God is, has prepared me and I'm trusting that God has prepared you. If we find any other delays, let's just chalk it up to Pastor Randy's not ready, okay? Let's just, that's what I told him. He's not ready yet. And so let's chalk it up to that. But uh, so, so anyhow, God has to get individuals ready, just like we learned with Moses. What have we learned in this time of preparation? Here, let me give you these, these things really quick we've learned. We've learned this. Our success as a church is not contingent upon a building that we worship in. Amen? It's not. We're blessed to have what we have. Amen? I'm so thankful for what we have. Um, we've seen God do some amazing things since we've had this, but our success is not contingent on a building. And when we, and, and, and when we are blessed, when we move into newer facilities and we have more space, I, I pray that we've learned the lessons, and I think God's wanting to be sure we've learned lessons that that won't change. That doesn't change who we are. That building will not define who we are. You is, you're the ones that define who we are. God is what defines who we are. Buildings are tools to reach more people. Buildings, do you know what buildings do? They come and go. Buildings come and go. Sometimes they come and go like hap what happened in West. Some of those buildings were devastated there. Do you know that in all of, um, in all of Europe, there are just incredible buildings that were built 
hundreds of years ago as there was a Christian age. Now they're in a post-Christian age there in Europe. But in their Christian age there, they built great buildings and monuments. And you know that many of those, if not most of those, are still there. But you know what? They're empty. And now they're museums. Do you know what we know about buildings? Buildings, they've never changed anybody's life. Who changes our lives? God does. God changes our lives. Jesus is the one that changes us. And you know, all over the northeast part of our country where they experienced great spiritual awakening, they built great buildings and all of this. And now I've talked to pastor friends of mine that are up in that area and they have great buildings, but people aren't filling those buildings up. Buildings don't change lives. They're just tools. And that's how we have to always view it as just a tool to reach more for the gospel. Okay? And to have more space. Only Jesus changes lives. We've also learned this in these 13 years. That God wants us to be much more involved than just what's happening in our own little church and our own little community. Amen? God has called us to go all over the world. And we've been obedient in doing that. That's why we've been involved in places like Vietnam and in Cambodia and India. And now we're involved in Laos. and, And we've been involved in Honduras. And I just love hearing reports of what's happening and our people getting involved in that. And when we put an email out about how you can help in West Texas by bringing these kinds of supplies. Did you know this? That by your generosity, by your faithfulness to our benevolence fund, we were able to supply Uh, uh, with uh, over 200 meals just this last week to people that were in need of meals in West Texas. Church, you did that. You did that through your obedience. And you can clap to God, okay? Or to yourself if you want, whatever. Okay, But, but God did that through you. That's what we've been learning is this isn't about us. We're called to so much more than just what's happening here. God's been teaching us that through this process of refining. And and what we know is that it's about God and it's about people. That's what God has taught us. It's about God and it's about people. By the way, those are the only two things that are going to last forever. God will and then our souls with him. God and people. Loving God and loving people, that's what I love about EBC, is, is, this, is God has shown us this through this time of preparation. We need to realize that anything that has ever happened that's been good is because of who God is. It's never been because of a pastor. It's never been because of a staff or a group of people. It's because of God and what God has done And this is what God wants us to know about his greatness. So Moses is going to tell us how God guided them. And I want you to see how God will guide you through your wilderness journey and how God will protect you, how it won't be easy. You'll find difficulty. And it certainly is not going to be an easy journey for us as we take some of the next steps, as there are things to relate in our journey as well. But I want you to see this, that God is with them. Look at what it says in Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord went before them. Don't you know he's going before you? He went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. In other words, he was providing for them perfectly what they needed, whether it was night or by day. That they may travel by day and by night. Verse 22, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This was a representation of God's presence with them. And God was with them through this whole ordeal. And as they're going through this, you're going to see this. He provided shade for them when they needed it while they were in, during the day. He provided heat and light in the, in, the, in the wilderness there. It would get cold at night. And he provided for them what they needed. And God had a plan for them. But there are things about God's plan that you need to know. Let me give you some things to write down. 
Here's some things about God's plan. Write this down. Number one, God's plans are not logical to us. Okay? God's plans, first point there, please. Please, in the back there, Karen. First point, thank you. God's plans are not always logical. Okay? They're not logical. Have you noticed that God's timing is, is not our timing? The way God does things, it's not the way we would map it out to be done. Okay, now here's what we see here. Look in Exodus chapter 14 in verse 1. God's led them in one direction. And now he's going to lead them in another direction. Which just doesn't make sense to us, you know, in the physical realm. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi Haharoth. Uh, that's easy for me to say, right? Okay. Between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Aren't you glad I'm preaching today, okay? God was directing Moses. Here's essentially what this means, okay? The places, I don't know if I even said them right here, but here's what this means. God was telling Moses to backtrack now. Now, don't you love that? When you feel like you're going forward and then God says, I want you to go back a little bit. And this is what's going on. To go back in the same direction, they had just traveled. It it seemed to some of them, I'm sure, that Moses probably didn't know what he was doing. He sure didn't know where he was going. Those that were not directionally challenged, because I know we have a lot of those folks. My wife's directionally challenged. She was like, I wouldn't have known that we were going that way, okay, and going back. But, but, but some of you, you know that, that you do know where you're going. And you're like, I know we've been here before. People started talking. They started murmuring. Why are we going back? We just went this way. Moses doesn't know what he's doing. What in the world is going on? All Moses was doing was following God. Okay? And I'm sure it was frustrating. Men, don't you know this, that the women were talking at this point, and they were saying, I wish Moses would just ask directions from someone. Good grief. Okay? Moses is like, I got this. I know where I'm going. Okay? God help me. Okay? They were boxed in now, and he was going to lead them to this place of the Red Sea on one side, and the wilderness was right back behind them, and in front of them was an insurmountable barrier of mountains. They were boxed in. This was the predicament. God led them to this trap. What? It's interesting. It's kind of like if you've ever felt like someone was following you or maybe you thought you were going to get mugged or robbed or something like that and you could sit and you're speeding up, you're trying to get away. So you try to lose them and you take a turn down one corner and when you go down that corner, you realize this, you've walked into a dead end or a dead end alley and now they're there, you're trapped. This is exactly what happened. So they're trapped. But here's something you need to understand. They've been led to the place that they now stand, not by Moses, not by just coincidental wandering. It wasn't just like, hey, we're just wandering around. Oh, we're here at the Red Sea. No, Moses said, follow me. God said, let's go this way. But they've been led there by God. Now, I want you to think about this this morning. Could it be, and I'm not saying in every circumstance that God has caused a difficulty upon you, okay? I'm not saying this. I do know that God can work in all of our difficulties, but there are certain times in our lives that God leads us through refining and he leads us through wildernesses and he might even lead us to a place of a Red Sea experience where we're wondering, how are we ever going to get through this? F.B. Meyer was a great pastor in the 1800s and uh, he was friends with D.L. Moody. 
And as I was thinking about that, and he said this, I want to tell you what he said. I was thinking, why are all the great preachers of that age, they all had initials for their names. Did you know that? You've got F.B. Meyer, Football Myers. I don't think it's football, but I like to think of it as Football Myers, okay? Or, or W.A. Criswell, or G.W. Truitt, or H.R. Puffin Stuff, or whatever, okay? You've got, I think he was a preacher, maybe, I don't know. But um, you've got all these guys, and I'm thinking, if I'm ever going to be considered and taken seriously as a preacher... I have to be formerly known as Bart. No, it's, it's, it's BP Hal. That's what it is from here on. It's BP. Okay. And so anyhow, this is what, I'm sorry, that was a lame joke, but here's the deal. Here's what he said. Often God seems to place his people. This is what he said into positions of profound difficulty. That's hard to accept sometimes, isn't it? Leading them into a wedge from which there is no escape. Designing a situation that no human judgment would have permitted had it been previously consulted. The very cloud directs them there. Speaking of the children of Israel, you may be involved in a situation like this at this very hour. It does seem perplexing and mysterious to the last degree, but it is perfectly right. The issue will more than justify him who has brought you there. It is, and this is key, it is a platform for the display of his almighty grace and power. Not only will he deliver you, but in doing so, he will give you a lesson that you will never forget. And this is what God was doing with Israel. And this could be what God is doing with you. In what you're dealing with, the tough spot you're in today is this platform for God's grace, his power in your life. It doesn't always rescue. God doesn't always rescue us the way that we think that he should or in the timing in which we think that he should do it because he's sovereign. He's God. He's in control. He's more interested in refining and building me into a man of God, you into a man or woman of God than he is in us just having temporary, because this world that we live in is so temporary, right? This temporal pleasure or this temporal ease or whatever, what God is about is refining you into making you who he wants you to be. And we know this, as we've gone through hard times, we often are the people that we are today, not because of the good times, but what? Because of the hard times. That's what God uses in our lives where we trust him. So we know that God's plans are not always logical, but here's what we also know. They're made in advance. God's not just kind of wandering around, just trying to figure out how he's going to put it all together. He's sovereign in this. And he knew how it would end before it ever began. In verse three of chapter 14, he says, for Pharaoh, he's telling Moses this. I'm going to tell you how it's all going to play out. Moses, this is what's going to happen. Pharaoh will save the people of Israel. They're wandering in the land. Moses is not asking for directions. <laughs> He's, and so they're wandering around. They don't know where they're going. They, and, and could be that word would trickle back to them because there were people that were among the Israelites that were not for them, that you'll discover. They were not for them. They just were along for the ride and they complained and they murmured. And, and, and so what they found out was somehow it got back to Pharaoh. The wilderness has shut them in. Maybe he sent scouts out. We don't know. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh. By the way, you should know Pharaoh is a great representation of the world as well. And, and, and God will receive glory over that. It seems like the world is in control and the world is winning. But here's what we see. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. It's all planned. 
Now, I don't have time to go into the sovereignty regarding Pharaoh and all of that, but you need to understand this, that God's in control. He's in control of our lives. And he's saying, Moses, the plan is this. They're going to think you're wandering. They're going to think you're trapped. They're going to get emboldened. They're going to come after you. And then I'm going to show them and I'm going to show you who I am. You just follow me. Can you believe what, the, what ends up happening here? It says in verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen and his army. And they overtook them, encamped at the sea. In other words, they caught up to them. And now the people are going to panic. Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, who was there? The Egyptians were marching after them. Their eyes were no longer on Moses and on God. Now their eyes were where? On their problems that were behind them. And they're looking at this and their their problems are there. And what does it say that they did? They feared greatly. They became scared. What are we going to do? And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, when they're at this crisis of belief, which some of you find yourself at, this crisis of belief, what am I going to, am I going to have faith and trust God? Or am I going to let fear run the day in my home, in my life? Here's what happens when fear runs the day in your life. Fear makes us skeptical. We end up getting very skeptical. And you can see this is what happens um, in verse 11. They said to Moses... Now, this is where the skepticism and the criticism is going to start entering in. Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt? They're also sarcastic. um, That you brought us to the desert to die? Really? That's what they're saying. We're afraid. We begin to doubt. We begin to doubt God. We begin to doubt his leaders. We begin to doubt. And, and and, And I noticed this here as a pastor that they became very critical of him at this point. Moses, are you serious? We're just backtracked and you led us into this place. What's going on? We often ridicule what we're afraid of. Fear also makes us selfish and self-centered. And you'll see this next. Here's what it says that as they were selfish. It says in verse 11, it says that what have you done to us? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? We start blaming others. Our eyes are now on our problems and we're looking for someone to blame. Fear also does this. It makes us stubborn. We become stubborn when we're fearful. Here's what verse 12 says. He says, is it not, is, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone. When Moses came back, they said, we don't want any part of this. This is too risky. We, we just don't want to do this. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. What? Are you hearing what they're saying? I just want to just stay in this place of bondage. It's too much of a risk. They were content to be slaves. I know we've been praying for God to do this for years and years and years. But now that it's here and it's going to require something on our part, nah, that's okay. That's, that's what they were saying. They got stubborn. In fact, the scripture calls them stiff-necked over and over again. Stiff-necked. Okay? Fear does this. And this may be where some of you are. It makes us short-sighted. We get, we get this kind of tunnel vision. We get short-sighted. And, and verse 12, the second part says, "For it would, this is what they're saying to Moses, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians, to just keep on being slaves than to take this risk of possibly dying in the wilderness. Can you believe what they're saying? We would rather have the good old days of the Egyptians mistreating us, abusing us, Killing our children. Do you remember that? They did that, right? 
doing all of these things than to take this risk in following a God that has called us to follow him in faith. Our problems can cause us to take our eyes off of God and to focus on our problems. They had watched God do all of these miraculous signs in the plagues and how quickly we forget who our God is, right? We do. Psalms 106, the psalmist wrote this. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. That's what all the plagues that God had brought on Egypt. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. That word steadfast means pursuing. It's a pursuing love. But they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he, this is his grace, yet he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. You have to determine in your life whether you're going to be driven by fear or by faith. And that's, that's, that's really a choice that God leaves in your hands. They're not logical. The plans are often not logical. We often find this, that, you know, that, that, we, that God's plans, we know they are sovereign. And you have to understand that they're sovereign. Here's the third thing. God's plans don't need your help, only your obedience. God answers through Moses to the murmuring Israelites. It's found in verse 13. And this is what Moses is going to say. And I just want to say this. I'm not going to break this down today because I don't have time. But I, I just want to encourage you who lifted your hands, and even those of you who maybe you didn't lift your hands today, but you know you're in a hard spot right now, a tough place in your life. This is what God wants to speak to you today. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will, say it with me, church, the Lord will do what? The Lord will fight for you. Don't you love that? Now you have only to be silent. Do you know what? These things that Moses told the people were exactly all the things that we do in our human nature, the opposite, right? We get scared and we panic. We start running around trying to make things happen and try to figure things out. He says, no, be still, stand firm. Don't be, don't be wishy-washy in your faith is what he's saying. I know it's rough right now, but you stand firm, stand firm. Now you watch for God, watch for the salvation of the Lord. And I noticed this one. And he said, basically, I don't know how else to put it. Shut your mouths is what he said. Keep silent because what we have a tendency to do is we complain to everybody that will listen, don't we? And I'm not saying that you shouldn't share with other people that you can trust or whatever. But, but he says, be silent and trust in the Lord. Be silent in this. Trust in him that he is good. God's plans do not need your help. They only need your obedience. What we find here, God's now going to speak to them and say to them what they need to do. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, and I think this is really interesting. You'd seen this would be a good time for prayer, right? This would be a good time for them just to all get down on their knees and just pray right there at the Red Sea. God said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. He's saying, get up, move. The praying's done. I've told you what I want you to do. Now follow me. Lift up your staff, Moses. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Literally, God told Moses, told Moses to stop praying and start moving, to quit your crying, stop your whining, put your faith in me, trust me, and, 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 and trust that I am in control of this. There's a time to pray. But when we have a direction, we need to stop praying and we need to start moving. 
You can be praying while you're moving. But you need to be moving, right? I was thinking about the other day how this next step is a big step for us as a church. It absolutely is. But I was thinking about this. I was thinking that really if we just, as Pastor Randy said, just all kind of pitch in and do this, we can have this land paid off by the end of this year. Amazing, right? I got news for you. That's not our Red Sea. Our Red Sea's coming after that. <laughs> because you don't just want to meet out among the mesquite trees, right? Okay, right? <laughs> Red Sea's coming. But you got to remember this. God said, move forward. You trust me. You be obedient. You follow me. All right? And so here's the final thing. God's plans are not limited to what is humanly possible. You got to remember that. It's not just what we can do. Or, I mean, we don't want to just do things only that we can do, right? We want God's stories. We want to see what God can do. 19, verse 19, Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Now, I don't have time to go into that, but you can just suffice it to say God's got your back, okay? Because this is what happened. Coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, God said, you're not getting by me. I'm protecting these people. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. It took all night for them to get through the sea. Um, I was doing a little study on this this week. They were likely 1,500 people across going across at a time. That's moving a lot of people, right? Okay, that's herding cats. And this is what they were doing. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And some will try to explain this away, that they just went through a little marshy area or whatever. The only problem with that is what we're about to read next is that somehow... Um, the Egyptians were drowned, okay? And so if it was just a little little creek that they went through, there's a little problem with that because all of them were drowned. Here's what Scripture says. The waters returned. As you know, they went through on dry ground. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, verse 28, of all the, ho the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the land of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people of the Lord, what did they do now? They feared the Lord. They knew that he was God. They revered him. And they, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. What I want you to see in this closing in closing this, is that coming to the Red Sea is just, a much, is just as much a part of the plan as crossing it. Did you catch that? Coming to the Red Sea is just as much a part of the plan. Today we're going to close by having communion. This, our salvation, was the biggest miracle that God has ever done. You see, we literally were at a Red Sea experience where we had no way of getting to God. We could try to get to God, but we would fall short. We would drown, essentially, in the Red Sea. We could try over and over in all kinds of ways, but God provided a Passover lamb for us. His name is Jesus. And when you have believed on him for eternal life, that if you never have, I encourage you to place your faith in Christ as your deliverer. Just as the Passover uh, occurred in Egypt where God's judgment spared those that were covered by the blood of the Lamb. When you are covered by the blood of Jesus, 
his broken body and his blood, which covers you, you are passed over from that judgment. Amen. Aren't you glad to know that? And now God is your deliverer. I want to ask you if you'll just bow your heads with me as we prepare to take communion together this morning. I invite those to take communion that you don't have to be a member of our church. You just need to be a Christian. If you have children uh, that have not received Christ yet, I ask that they refrain. If they have trusted Christ as their Savior, they are welcome to join us this morning. But we are going to take up communion here in just a minute as the ushers begin passing the plates. As As the elements are being passed, there's some things I want you to just contemplate. I want to ask this morning that as you receive the elements, that you hold them and that we're going to receive communion all together at the same time today. So you'll hold the bread and you'll hold the cup and then I'll instruct you when we are to receive it. And you're to remember that the bread is representative of the body of Jesus that was broken for you. Whenever the Israelites were coming out of the land of Egypt, they were coming out in haste. And God told them to make bread that had no leaven in it. Leaven often represents sin. And so this bread is unleavened bread that you're receiving today. There is no yeast in it. It's, it's in essence, symbolically, it is uh, sinless. And, and they made this kind of bread. They had this meal together where there was a lamb that was slaughtered. And as we told you a minute ago, and as I told you back on the Good Friday service, they took the blood of this lamb. Each household took a Passover lamb and they took the blood and they put it over the doorpost of their homes. And when that angel of death came and he saw the blood, his judgment went over, passed over that home. And so in a minute, we'll also take the cup of the juice, which is representative of the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you've trusted Christ as your Savior, the blood of Jesus covers you. Amen? You're sinless before God the Father now. You are the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what Scripture tells us that we are. Not because of what we've done, but because of who He is and what He's already done. So as you hold that, I want you to think about what that means in your life. I want you to think of the miracle it has been that God has saved you. It's even greater than the Red Sea. Because now, where this great gulf was between us and God, how are we ever going to get to the other side to be with God? Now Jesus has made it passable for you to come to the Father through Him. I want to give you just a moment just to silently pray. Maybe you need to confess sin. Maybe you just want to thank the Lord right now for what he's done in your life.